or storms because the truth is, well, the Bible says it rains in the just and the unjust. And if you've not gone through a difficulty, buckle up, because here it comes. There's, there's something coming down the pike for you. But no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, we can have peace. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're finishing our series. Uh, now, this is our Christmas series, so forgive me. We had one extra. There are five names, and we started in the beginning of December, and it's only four weeks, so Isaiah chapter 9. But I didn't want to skip this, this last name of our glorious Savior. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Lord, thank you for the promise of our Savior. So many years before he ever came, Father, in fact, he was promised all the way back at the beginning in the book of Genesis. And we see the promise of, of the Messiah all throughout the Old Testament. And we see the fulfillment of it in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And we are so thankful that Christ came. Thankful that he didn't just come to be born as a, as a, as a baby, but he came to die. He came to die on that cross so that, so that we all could have eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the peace that comes through his life and through his death. And God, I pray that you would be with me now this morning as, as we look at this, this name, the Prince of Peace, and we examine the truth of it and, God, how it, how it can affect our lives and, and affect our world. I pray, God, that you would give me the words to speak, uh, that I would preach only your words and your truth, and uh, that there would be nothing of me in it. Hide me behind the cross, and, God, I pray that Christ is glorified, and, Lord, that you would have your way in each one of our hearts and minds this morning. We thank you for all that you've done. We praise you for it. And God, we, we ask you for your help because, because we need it. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We live in a day where peace is lacking in every situation. Think of the politics and the way that that, uh, and I'm not going to get into politics, so I don't want to know who you voted for either side, and I don't know who you want to know who you're going to vote for. Uh, we can have that conversation a different time, but that's not for today. But what I am concerned with is how people deal with one another. How we're unable to have civil conversations when we disagree. Because there, aren't, there is not peace in politics, and there is not peace uh, in the hearts of people. Uh, there's, there's this constant uh, battle where one must be better than the other. And I must always be right. And the truth is, I'm always right. Kidding? I'm kidding. I'm almost never right. Just ask my wife. Terrible jokes. But just look at the, the, the climate of our, of our world today. It's not getting any better. It there truly is a, a dysfunction in our society and a dysfunction uh, in, even in our families where we gather together uh, around the Thanksgiving uh, table or the Christmas table and there are certain topics you have to avoid with certain people because you know it's just going to turn into a, a verbal brawl and somebody's going to be upset or hurt and so we avoid those things. There's no peace. We look across our world and the world wars that are going around all, all around us and the, worlds that, the, the wars that, that sometimes we get involved in and other times uh, uh, knowingly involved in, sometimes unknowingly involved in, but there's, there's no peace. And there is a great need for peace in our country. There's a great need for peace in our world. And there's a great need for peace in our homes. But uh, honestly, even beyond that, there's a great need for peace in the hearts of our people, of, of people. Because there is no peace. That, uh, I know children of God who love the Lord, who, who serve Him, that struggle with this idea of peace in all the midst of the trials and the tribulations that are going on in their life. And, and there's a lack of peace. I look at this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 9, and it, 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 
you read the, the previous chapters and, and what was going on in Isaiah's day, and there was a lack of peace. Isaiah was a martyr, a, a wicked king, uh, uh, one of the most wicked kings of, of the day, literally sawed him in two. That's how he died. Uh, it, it, was, it was not a days, there were not days of peace in Isaiah's life. And, and, and the prophecy that we look at in Isaiah chapter Chapter 9, uh, 7, 8, and 9, it's days of judgment. And, and it's talking about things that are to come and things that are to happen. But there is a promise that was given to the people there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's jump back just a couple verses and look at this again. He says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict, afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of the death upon them hath the light shine. Thou hast multiplied the nations and not increased the joy, the joy before thee according to the joy in the harvest, and of men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor. Or as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and the garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. There will be a day of a great battle. It's talking about end times. And we'll get to exactly what it's talking about uh, towards the end of this. But it was, it's not talking about moments of peace. During the tribulation, the Bible tells us there will be three and a half years of peace. But the, then the Antichrist is going to, uh, to, to, to rise, and, and, and there's going to be uh, three and a half years of war. Israel will be, will be, uh, will be uh, chased, and, and they'll be trying to destroy the people of Israel. It's, that is going to be what brings Israel back to God. And there will come a time when Jesus Christ comes back, not as a baby in a manger, but as the King of kings and Lord of lords, riding on a white horse, and he will battle those that have risen against him and his people, and he will win. And there will come a day when everybody will come to the throne of Jesus Christ, and the Bible tells us every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And on that day, they will call him Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we've looked at these names one at a time over, uh, over the last four weeks, and now the fifth week we will look at this last one, and we have seen how Jesus Christ is wonderful, should bring wonder in the heart of every man, woman, and child if we stop and think of who Jesus is. We've looked at how he is, the, how not only is he the ever, or the, the, the uh, there we go, not only is he uh, the, the, uh, Wonderful, but he's the counselor. Uh, his wisdom is beyond all wisdom and how we need the wisdom of God today. We looked at how uh, he will be called the mighty God, and he truly is the mighty God. We looked at, at how he will be called the everlasting father, and that's not talking about the father, that's talking about the son. There's, there's a, a difference between the father, the God the father, God the son, and God the Holy Spirit, but, but he is the representation of the father here on this earth. And today we're going to look at the Prince of Peace. The definition of peace is this, freedom from disturbance, tranquility, as in you can while away an hour or two in peace and seclusion. We all like that, don't we? Especially when we have children. A state, a state or a period in which there is no war or a war has ended. The greatest need in this and in every generation is the coming of the Prince of Peace. Because it is only with the Prince of Peace that any one of us can ever experience true peace. Because the truth is, in this world, it is, is war between, between countries and people and, 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 in our, and between uh, individuals and honestly in, within our own hearts with God. I want you to notice and observe that the title, The Prince of Peace, what it represents. First, it represents that he is the author of peace. The Hebrew word that's translated prince uh, uh, is, is actually mentioned thir or 15 times in the Old Testament, and, and other, uh, other words are used for, uh, for the word prince in the New Testament as well, but they all carry the same idea of ruler and leader. 
as the author and as the originator. That Jesus Christ is the author and the originator of peace. And we see this clearly in his birth. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. I want you to know that Jesus brought peace to this world at his birth. The time uh, when we stop and think about uh, those days, they were not days of peace. Now, uh, you'd say, well, there wasn't war going on in Israel. There was, there was oppression going on in Israel. If, if you understand the, the history and the times, Rome was in control of, of most parts of the known world at that point in time. And they were in control and they were uh, in headship uh, in Israel. Uh, Rome, uh, there was a Jewish man who sat on the throne, but he ruled, in, ruled for the Roman government. His name was Herod. The people didn't want the, the rule of Rome. They were looking for a Messiah that would overthrow the rule of Rome. In fact, we see that later on in the, 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 the Gospels as, as the, the disciples ask, is this the day that your kingdom will come? They had a desire and they were looking for the, the, uh, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings to come and overthrow the rule of Rome and set his kingdom up right then and right there. And Jesus didn't come at that point in time in his, at his first advent, his first coming, to be the King of Kings. He came to be the Lamb of God. But if he never came as the Lamb of God, where would we be? John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Because while there's war on the outside and war with Rome and war amongst the factions of the, the Pharisees and the, the scribes and uh, the Sadducees and all the different factions that were trying to rule uh, underneath the, the guise of the rule of Rome at the time, listen, there, there, was still, there was still war in the hearts of the people of God because they had turned their backs on God. See, the greatest war that we battle isn't with one another. The greatest war that we battle is, is not uh, with uh, those that are in government and those that are in power that come against us. Uh, our greatest threat is not China or Russia or North Korea or any of those other. Listen, I'm not saying that we should be ignorant of the things that are going on in this world, but the greatest battle that people need to fight and need to understand is that the war that we have and that mankind has always had since the days of Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of man is a war with God. Because of our sin, we are at enmity. We have been separated uh, with God, and there is a battle, a, a rejection of, of God and all that he is. And God, from the very beginning, has promised the Messiah. Yes, one day to rule as king, but most importantly, to reconcile man to him. The entire purpose of the coming of Christ is to reconcile mankind to God. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here it is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or payment for our sin. There is a war going on in the hearts of mankind. And Christ is the answer. He brought peace at his birth. Luke chapter 2, 13 and 14. If you turn there and look, read, with, read it with me. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. There was never a more convenient time for Christ to enter the world than that time. They needed peace. We needed peace. Galatians chapter 4, 3 and 5 says this, Even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God, it's recorded there that at the appointed time, God appointed the time. God's timing is always best. You may desire something and you think you might be able to plan it out the best, but listen, our knowledge is limited and our understanding is limited and our wisdom and ability to plan things is limited. 
Believe me, you can be the best planner in the world and not get things right. But God, in his wisdom, in his omniscience, in his understanding, in his wisdom, appointed the time, appointed a time when Jesus Christ would come. Notice the message that the, that the angels spoke of on that day. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. There was not peace on earth between man and God at this point in time. But, but Christ was the messenger of peace. He came to bring, pre, to bring peace to this world. We saw that in Galatians 4. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. The conditions of the world were ripe for God's supreme act in his redemptive purpose. There was a need for a savior. Men were lost and dying and on their way to hell, and they, many are still today. But now we have the savior. Until that day, they had the promise of the savior. Until that day, they had the prophecy of the Messiah. Christ was the fulfilling of that prophecy. The birth of Christ in that day of sin when men had almost forgotten God for 400 years, they hadn't heard from God. For 400 years, there was silence. There wasn't a prophet. There wasn't a man to stand and preach. But they had waited. And for fi finally, the fulfillment of that day came when Jesus was born. He stepped into the world in the form of the Son. And angels pronounced peace on earth and goodwill towards men. God had a, a desire to bring reconciliation with mankind. See, we, we think that we want God to, to do something. We want to have a relationship with God. No, no. God wants a relationship with you. We love him because he first loved us. It is not us that, that, that builds a relationship and makes a way for us to, to speak to God. We do not earn that, by, uh, earn that right by, by the good works that we do or the, the efforts that we put in or the, the turning over of a new leaf or, or I, I have made my New Year's resolution and I am going to be a better person this year. Uh, you can make your New Year's resolution, but we all know what mostly happens with New Year's resolutions. We quit. We give up. We fail. But the Bible says... For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It isn't what we do. Christ did it all. He brought peace at his birth. He brought peace in his life. Jesus Christ brought peace in his life. Notice his words of peace in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Isn't that the truth? But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Christ preached a message of peace. Listen, you don't find that message preached anywhere else. Uh, yeah, read the news, get on, get on social media. Actually, you're better off if you don't. But if you do, uh, uh, what you'll find is division. What you'll find is arguments. Listen, I, I, I stay off social media for as much as I can because I am prone I, to, to arguments. I like to debate simply for the enjoyment of the debate. That's my flesh. Uh, I, I, will, I, will, I, could, I could even know that I'm wrong, and it's just fun for me to fight with you. Now, and I mean in a, in a nice, jovial way. I'll try not, but not everybody takes it that way. And then people that watch it, because on social media, everybody watches what's going on. Listen, we as Christians should not do that, by the way. They, they should not see our arguing. They, uh, they should see uh, us working together in love and serving one another and su submitting ourselves to the, the, the authority of God and his word instead of, instead of digging into each other and trying to cut and destroy. We don't need to be right all the time. He is the only one that has to be right all the time. He came to preach peace. He gave words of peace. He left them with words of peace. But not only was, uh, were his words of peace, his way was of peace. How many times did, did the Pharisees and the lawyers try to trip him up in his words? Accuse him of certain things, and at times they, they would take up stones to overthrow, uh, to, to, to stone him to death. 
Go all the way to Calvary and look at how he responded to the false accusations and the false lies. Isaiah tells us that, that he opened not his mouth. There's a song. He could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't need to call 10,000 angels. He was God in the flesh. All he had to do was open his mouth and speak, and they would have all been wiped out. He, could have come, he would have come off that cross, but he couldn't come off the cross. Not because he didn't have the power to come off the cross, but if he came off the cross, he couldn't have accomplished what, the, what he was sent here to do. He had a way of peace. He was beaten for our sins and our iniquities. They were laid upon him. Our false accusations, our sin, was, it was not just laid upon his, at his feet, but he bore them upon his shoulders as he, as he hung there on that cross. And the Bible says that, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Bible says that it was the agony of a soul that satisfies the wrath of God. It wasn't just the physical beatings and the nails and the prints in his hands and the, and, and the mockings and the scourgings and the, 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 all that went on uh, physically and mentally. It was the fact that, that he bore the wrath of God upon him that day. That's why our sins are washed away and covered and paid for. His way was of peace. And his works were of peace. We could take the time to look at all of the instances through the gospel, we don't have the time, or we'd be here till tonight, and you would all be upset with me. But how many times did he silence a storm? You remember his words as the, as the disciples sat there fearful in the boat, waking up and said, what, what, or, do you not care that we're going to die? And he stood up and said, peace, be still. He had power over nature. I, I, it, it, it boggles my mind uh, because we've never seen it happen. But immediately, the wind stopped and the waves calmed. His works were of peace. In fact, as you look at all that he did here on this earth, brought peace. The demons would tear at the minds and the hearts and the, uh, physically at those. Uh, there were those that would be cast into the fire and those that would, would, would harm themselves and cut themselves. And, and there was not peace in those hearts or those minds. I think of the wild man of, of Gadara. Uh, that, that everybody tried to bind him with ropes and with chains and nobody could bind him. He'd run around naked and, and, and clawing and cutting himself and everybody was terrified. And he was a recluse and, and, and set to live within where, where the, the bodies were buried in the cemetery because nobody wanted to be around him. There was no peace in his heart or his mind or in his life. But a moment with Christ. A few moments with Christ. And he was dressed and in his right mind. The peace that God can give to a tortured soul. His works were of peace. The, the, the diseases that racked the bodies. Multiple, the, the leprosy, the, 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 the woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, the, uh, the lame, the blind, every single time. We, we spoke about this in Bible study the other day. And there was not a single time when anybody ever came to, to, to Christ and to, to seek healing where he did not heal. It often makes me wonder, as, as the, 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 the man uh, there in the, the, by the pool of Siloam, where, where Jesus, uh, and this, as I stop and think about this, and I... I heard a man preach on, on, on uh, witnessing with Jesus or learning to witness from Jesus and how he goes one-to-one, one, one by one, and you see that over and over. He'd go to one person after another. There were times when he dealt with crowds, but many times he'd go just one by one. But he talked about and described how Jesus walked into this area where there are crowds of lame and diseased people around the Pool of Siloam. And Jesus found one man. And he walked. Can you imagine stepping around this one? Excuse me, stepping over this one. Walk. All of these people need healing. But he walks to that one man and says, would you like to be healed? I often wonder why nobody else asked. When they see this lame man who's been there for years, more than a decade, they've all watched him tried to drag himself because he had nobody to drag him, nobody to help him, nobody to, to, to bring him along. He was there all by himself. And 
At this point, he's downtrodden and discouraged and, and about given up. Because when Jesus asks me he wants to be healed, he makes excuses. Why I have no man to, to get me to the water? That's not what Jesus was asking him. But in a moment, he says, get up and walk. And that man in faith stood up, and the disease that had ravaged and tortured his body and, and, and brought pain and, 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 and infirmity for, for years was suddenly gone. Peace. Think of Jairus coming to the Lord about his daughter who was sick and finding out before they ever got there, because they got waylaid on the way by the woman with an issue of blood, that she was dead. They said, don't bother the master anymore. She's gone. The pain, the fear, the terror of losing a child. I have four. It would break my heart if one of my children died. Now, that doesn't mean that God wouldn't bring me through, but I don't want to go through it. Pain. But in a moment, Jesus said, She's not dead, she's just sleeping. And he raised from the dead. Think of Lazarus, who they, they sent for Jesus, and he didn't come, who died. And both Mary and Martha both said, Lord, if you had only been here. Our brother would not have died. And the Bible actually says that Jesus, seeing the people weeping and seeing the grief, John eleven thirty five, 35, we all, the, very, the shortest verse in the Bible, the first one I ever memorized, Jesus wept. He knew what he was going to do. He knew his plans. In fact, he knew the plans all along. Uh, he waited so that, that, that God would be glorified. But with all that grief and with all that pain and whatever that, that he went through, uh, Lazarus went through in those days before he died, I want you to understand that in a moment it was all gone when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He thought there was weeping before. Now there's weeping, but they're rejoicing because the pain was gone. Listen, uh, he, he had uh, works, uh, he had words of peace, he had a way of peace, but uh, he, he was peace. Again and again, his message to go in peace was heard by those he ministered to. In Mark chapter 5, verse 34, he says, And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and behold thy plague. Luke 8, 48, uh, And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Jesus bought, brought peace in his life. But he also brought peace by his death. Colossians chapter 120. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be in earth or things in heaven. The word reconcile means to be brought back together. Because here's the problem. Because of man's sin... We have been alienated from God. Romans chapter 1, 18 through chapter 1, verse 18. Turn there with me if you would. We won't read all of this, though we could and should read all of this. Verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We have been alienated because of our sin. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 5 says, uh, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so the death passed upon all men. And Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Uh, because of our sin, we have been alienated from God. If you remember the account uh, of that first man, Adam, when he, when he sinned, uh, he ate of the fruit. Uh, it was given to the fruit by his wife, uh, but that he ate of the fruit. And because of his sin, uh, his disobedience to the command of God, it says, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so the death passed upon all men. We've all been born with the nature of sin, because of what Adam did on that day. But because of that sin nature, there's alienation. What happened to Adam and Eve? Uh, they were allowed to just go on and, and enjoy the, the time in the Garden of Eden until the end of their days? 
No, they were cast out. When, 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 the, when God came to them that day, they were hidden. They, were, they, were co- they tried to cover themselves, their nakedness, with, with the, the, the fig leaves. And it wasn't good enough, as we saw, see in the next chapter. But they were hidden, and God said, where are you? Listen, he knew where they were. He needed them to see where they were. But they were, they were alienated. They were separated from God because of their sin. And because of their sin, everyone that was ever born after that moment in time has been separated from God because of the sin nature. You say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. Compared to me, you probably are. When we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, the Bible says we become fools. But it, it, it doesn't do us any good to hold ourselves up against somebody else's standard. It doesn't, help, it doesn't do you any good to hold yourself up against my standard because my standard is fallible and your standard is fallible. Do you know what the Bible says our standard should be? Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's holiness, God's glory, God's perfectness is our standard. And guess what? You and I fall short. Every single time. When it says for all have sinned, it doesn't say for most. It doesn't say the worst. It means everybody. So I'm not standing here up here telling you that I am better than you. The truth is I'm probably worse than you. But by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, because of the love of God, because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we all stand at the foot of the cross in need of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Man, as man's alienation from God through sin. We also see man's debt because of that sin. Do you know what death is? It is our wages. When, when you go to work, if you have a job or if you do something for somebody and they, they pay you for what you've done, I used to, I used to be a, a firefighter. Uh, I got paid once a week. I loved that day. And most people like their paydays. Right? Uh, you're, you, you, and there were times uh, at, at different jobs that there was one job that I worked at where they, they underpaid me a couple times, and I watched that paycheck because I wanted what it was due to me because I earned it. And you would all do the same thing. If, if your paycheck comes on, on, on whatever day of the week you get paid, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever it is, and, and you get your paycheck and you see that you're short on what you were owed, I can guarantee you, you're going to be standing at the guy who does all that paperwork, the lady who does all that, and say, hey, I need to be paid. Well, one day we're all going to stand before God, and he's going to pay us exactly what we deserve. It's appointed a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And this verse, six, verse 23 of chapter 6 of Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we deserve death. Well, I don't think I should. doesn't matter what you think. I don't think I should get a ticket for driving too fast, but guess what? If I drive too fast, I get a ticket. Last ticket I got was way too much, and I won't do it again. I accidentally, seriously accidentally, went way too fast, and I I thought the speed limit changed. I was out of town, and I ended up with a $450 ticket for driving criminal speed in New Hampshire. It was an accident. I was on my way to a prayer meeting. Guess what? The cop didn't think it was funny. In fact, I almost went to jail. It was unintentional, I, I, I promise you. I, I have been known to, to drive a little fast, but I've never been known to drive that fast over the speed limit, unless I was on a call in, in an ambulance or a fire truck, and then I could drive as fast as I wanted. I was going 75 and a 25. It was purely by accident, I promise you. Actually, it was more like 77, but... <laughs> Brother, Brother Frank's back there like, oh my goodness, you're not going to come back, are you? <laughs> it, it, was, it was an accident. He sat behind me for, for 45 minutes. I guarantee you he was waiting to try to find somebody to come help him because he was a 60-year-old man and he didn't want to try to arrest me by himself. And eventually he came to my, my door and says, you're lucky. I've got some place I need to be and... I'm going to give you this ticket. And he didn't write it for what the speed I was going. He dropped it down low enough that he didn't have to arrest me and gave me a $450 ticket. Now, I call that blessed and mercy. But there's going to come a day when, I'm, when, when mankind will stand before God at the, the final judgment, and there will be no mercy because he's just waiting for somebody to come along and help take care of you. There'll be judgment for our sin. 
And it's not talking about our physical death. We all physically die. It's appointed a man wants to die. The book of Revelation tells us that, that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. We won't experience it until that day, but what a wage to have to pay. But we don't have to pay it. See, we see, we've seen man's alienation from God because of sin. We've seen man's debt because of sin. But through Christ, we see man's deliverance from sin. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 25. But whom God set forth to be a propitiation. For, it's a big Bible word. It means payment. He was the atonement. Uh, 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 when, when I got that $450 ticket, praise the Lord, I was able to just pay it. That's, the, that's what it means. But Jesus was the payment through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission or the removal or covering of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Look at verse, verse Matthew 5, or sorry, not Matthew 5, Romans 5. Verse 8 says, But God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Justified means he has been, we've been declared righteous, or declared clean, or pure. We've been, the, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're saved from that judgment through Jesus Christ. For if we, for if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now we have now received the atonement. Through Christ, that his death, he paid for our sins, so that you and I can be declared just. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, became sin for us, he our sin was placed on him so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. When God looks at a, at a child of God, he does not see your past. He does not see your sin. He does not see who you were or what you have done. He doesn't see the old nature. Do you know what he sees? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There is no more judgment for you. There, there is no more looking for the, the wrath of God to come upon you. There is peace in your heart and peace in your mind because you know that Christ already bore all that was going to be placed upon you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. There is real peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus brought peace by his death, and I am so thankful for what he did for us there. He is the author of peace. But for every child of God, we need to understand that he is the arbitrator of peace, the governor or ruler of peace. Colossians 3, 15, 13 through 15 says this, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a Quarrel against any other, or any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, for the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Paul taught that the peace of Christ should rule or govern our attitudes as children of God and our, and our interactions with one another in relation to our brothers and sisters. Not only do we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, we should have peace with one another. What does it mean to have a ruler or a governor? It, mean, it means that, that they get to declare what is right, what is true, what, what we should do. If a king tells you to do something, you say, where do you want me to do it and for how long? Because they're our ruler and our governor, uh, uh, the one who is our Lord and is our master. When Christ is welcomed and honored in the life of every Christian, peace should govern and rule in our hearts and lives. If you're saved here today, if you're a child of God, the peace of God should rule and reign in your heart. Not just that you have peace with God, but you are obedient and that we have peace with one another. Ephesians 2, 13-16 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were 
far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of, command, the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And he, that might, and he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain enmity thereby. This, the context of this passage is that it's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews. The, Jew, the believing Jews, those who were saved by faith in Jesus Christ and the Gentiles. And he's saying eh, eh, the, the Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. They would not talk to each other. They would not sit next to each other. Uh, they would not have anything to do with each other. But Paul was saying, listen, because of Christ, that wall of partition that separated you before is broken down. You are now one in Jesus Christ. And I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what country you come from. I don't care what part of, the, uh, of Augusta that you live in or if you're from New Hampshire, brother. I don't care what has separated us or what kind of walls we have built up. In Christ, we are one. There is peace. We can sit down together and, and have show love with one another because of what is in us. Christ, the Spirit of God, unifies us. There is too much division in, 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 in the guise of uh, we are one in Christ. There were days in the old church, the new church, I guess at that time it was, in the book of Acts, or masters and slaves sat together and worshiped God. Think about that. We, we don't have a concept in, in our world today, in our society, of what it would be like for a master and a slave to come together. Uh, even in our American history, and, and slavery is a terrible thing, biblical slavery was not, quite, it was not what we understand as American slavery, so please understand that. But in those days, uh, it was like separate classes, different classes of people, and the, the two didn't intermix. Uh, the slaves or the servants uh, didn't sit down to eat with the masters, uh, they, uh, with those that had, had rule over them and those that, that they worked for. Uh, they, 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 they did everything for them. Their, their, their desire was to, 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 to bless them, or should uh, that was what it was supposed to be. But I want you to understand that when they came to worship God, they came together and worshiped God. Uh, the, the, the slaves didn't sit outside of the church and listen through the window. They didn't have the their own church, that in Christ, they could come and worship God together. We have that same unity in the Spirit of God. We should have. There should be that peace. He should be the arbitrator of peace, the ruler of peace in the, the personal life of every Christian. Jesus Christ should be the ruler of peace in the heart of every Christian. Colossians 3, 15 and 16 again says this, and let the peace of God, notice this, rule in your heart. Now let's read the next part. To the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Notice the next part, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. They're tied together. The peace of God, the rule of God, and the word of God. Because if Christ truly rules and reigns in your heart, his word is authoritative. What does that mean, big word authoritative? I borrowed it from somebody. It means that his word means everything. It has authority in our lives. And we like to set our standards, and we like to, we like to live our lives according to what we think is right and wrong. And, and even in the Old Testament, they did that which is right in their own eyes. But that what's right in our own eyes isn't necessarily always right. And we should, so we, we can't live according to, necessarily according to our own thoughts, our own standards. And cultural standards are changing on a regular basis. Look at our society. It, it, it drives me nuts from, from what, has, uh, what it was, what, what was considered truth when I was a child to what is considered truth today. And, and things are changing all the time. So how can there be authority when it's just going to change again in another six months, because it will. The, 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 culture, the standards of the culture and what's right and wrong will change. We've got to find a, a basis, something that we can stand on that's firm that never changes. And you know what that is? The Word of God. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted, right? It's, it's the Word of God that never changes. 
In fact, you see that in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church as they, they dealt with the, as they dealt with the uh, uh, these, these men and women that had heard the word of God and had gotten saved and, and it had changed their lives. And it says, for this cause also thank we God, verse 13, without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you, that believe. It's the word of God that works in you. Listen, you can get all of your, your self-help books and, you're, and you're all, you can get all the wisdom all combined that mankind has come up with, and you can read it, and you might do a few things to, 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 to make a few changes and, and, and try to, to help you live a better 2023. But you know what happens when, you, when, you, when you, you're using man's ideas and man's thoughts? They become convoluted and confusing, and ultimately, men are, well, fallible. They make mistakes. And you can make all the changes you want. You can turn over all the new leaves you want. But the things that you change on the outside, the Bible tells us it's like a, a pig that goes back to the mud. The dog returns to his vomit. You know what changes us on the inside? The Word of God. And be not conformed to this world, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the Word of God that is, should be authoritative in the life of every child of God. These, these, men in these men and women in Thessalonica, the church there, they heard the word and they treated it like it was the word of God and not as the word of men. You, people read the Bible, and you should read your Bible. And if you're not reading your Bible, I would encourage you to start reading your Bible. And I'm not, telling, I'm not going to tell you that you have to spend an hour a day reading your Bible. I'm not going to tell you that you need to even spend, uh, 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 you need to read a chapter a day. There is no number of verses. There is no length of time. I, I, we should have a hunger for it, but babies don't eat a lot of food. I'm not calling you babies. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're not reading your Bible yet, and you start to try to read 5, 10, 15 chapters, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be overwhelmed, confused, and you're going to stop. If you've not eaten in two weeks, and you sit down, and you sit down to a four, five-course meal with a big I, a tomahawk steak. Have you ever seen one of those things? I saw one. I want one, but I can't eat one. If you do that after not eating for two weeks, you know what you're going to do? You're going to puke. I know it's vulgar words, but what's going to happen? Because you're not ready for it. So for, for if you're struggling with, your, with, with being consistent in reading the Bible, just be consistent. Spend five, ten minutes a day to begin with and, and start that habit. Don't try to become Mr. Spiritual or Mrs. Mrs. Spiritual and spend two hours in the Word because you will give up. I know from experience, you need to start slow, just like a baby, sipping from a bottle. And let, let your, your, your Christianity mature. So that you can eat more, and you can consume more, and you can understand more as the Spirit of God works in you. But the Word of God must be and should be authoritative for us as children of God. The Word of God, because Christ rules in our hearts, should be what guides and leads our lives. The Word is authoritative. But it's an authoritative work. Ephesians 5.18 says this, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. These are sister passages that, that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and, and, uh, and, and, and be filled with the Spirit. Uh, if you read down through, it's almost word for word uh, for several verses of the, of the results of, of, of being filled with the Spirit and letting the word. Because if the, word, if the Spirit of God is not in control, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is not in control, the, the word of God is not authoritative. And if the word of God is authoritative and you're letting God rule you, guess what? The Spirit has control. Because the two work in tandem together to, to, to sanctify you and to change you and make you more like Christ. So as a child of God, understand that it's a, an accomplished workmanship. Christ, God, is working in you to bring about the fruit of the Spirit. 
Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Do you want to have peace in your life? It comes with letting God rule and, and, and lead your life. That you let him sit on the throne of your heart and guide your every, every word, every decision, every action. There should be peace in the, in the life of the individual Christian. And if there's peace in the life of the individual Christian, what we will see is peace in the general life of the church. Colossians 3.15 again says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, in the which also ye are called in one body. That, that peace uh, in us as, as individual Christians comes to effect, uh, comes, to, comes to act and work in the life of the church when we come together. Because guess what? We're all different. We all have different opinions. And that's okay. You should have a different opinion. Do not be... Yes, people, don't be, uh, in fact, every word that I've pre preached, every, every verse that we have talked about, I want, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go home and I want you to read it and study it for yourself so that you don't just take my word for it and say, well, this is what the preacher said. I will do my best to preach the word of God as, as God has opened it before me, but you need to read the word for yourself because otherwise it's just what the preacher said. I want the word of God and I want the spirit of God to tell you what the word of God says. But as it affects us generally in the church, if the word of God is authoritative in my life and I'm submitting myself to the spirit of God, guess what? I'm going to do what the Bible tells me in Philippians. Let the mind of Christ, let the mind of Christ be in you. It talks about forgiveness and forbearance. And while we're all different, and we are all different, and some of us are very different, somehow we can all come cohesively together. And we can serve God together. And we can work with God together and God, allow God to work in us together. There is not two people in this place that are the same. And that's the way it should be. Because if we were all the same, or if you were all just carbon copies of me, I'm sorry, I'd be terrified for this world. But God uses us as individuals to do different things. Calling us to different ministries to, to bless and to work with one another. The peace of God is not only to affect the heart of the individual Christian, but the general life of the church by smoothing out the differences and conflicts that arise in the body. And there are always conflicts. And any time you might want to say, I'm just not going to deal with them anymore, guess what? You're just going to find it somewhere else. Because the, the, the greatest way to deal with the conflict is to deal with the conflict that's within yourself. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. 4, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore the prison of the Lord uh, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering and forbearance, one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul also said in Romans 12, 18, If it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. There will be peace among us as brothers and sisters. Paul dealt with, uh, with uh, Syntyche and Eutychus and told them to get along because they were fighting about something. Listen, I want you to understand, God wants us to, to come together. And if somebody rises up and, and you've got a problem with them, don't leave the church. And don't just ignore it. Deal with it. In a godly way. In a humble way. The Bible says that if I, if there is a, a, if I go to bring my gift to the altar... And there is something between me and a brother in Christ. And listen, the onus is on me whether it's their fault or my fault. But if there is some problem that I am to leave my gift at the altar and I am go to that person and deal with it, bring about, bring about that reconciliation between us and them the best that I can according to the word of God and the spirit of God and then come back and give my, altar, my offer to the Lord. God desires that we be united together. Because we can't work united if we're not united. By allowing the peace of God to govern in our individual hearts, we contribute to the elimination of the discord in the church. And more essentially, we, we contribute to the harmony and function of the church on earth. We see, the, we see this in the example of Christ in Philippians 2, 1 through 5. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, 
being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And it ends with this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, Jesus. The example of Christ, we'll see it in the desire of Christ. In John 17, 20-22, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. John 17 is the, the Lord's Prayer. We, we talk a lot about the, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's, that's the model prayer. Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray. But in John 17, Jesus himself was praying for his disciples. But according to verse 22, for them also which shall believe on me through their word. All those that, that come to, to believe on him afterwards. That would be you and I. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The desire of Christ was that you and I, uh, that Christians, would come together in unity, and that that would point to the power of Christ. What the world sees many times is the hypocrisy, and the, the fighting, and the, 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 the destruction of one another. That is not what they should see. If you're on Facebook or on Instagram or one of those other social media sites and you're jumping in and, and attacking some other Christian because of, of, of what they've said or, or some question that they've put, listen, stop it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to them. Do it biblically. You talk to them. Don't blast it on Facebook for everybody to see. You can call them. I know nobody does that anymore. I'm getting old. I would rather call and talk to people. I hate to type. You can call them. Even better, get in your car, drive to where they are, knock on their door, and say, hey, brother, can I talk to you? That is the best way to deal with those things. Before you do that, pray. Go humbly. Right? There's, there's a way to deal with this stuff, but face-to-face. Bring about the reconciliation, the unity. Deal with things in that way. Not only is he the, the author of peace, we also see he, that he is the authenticator of peace. We mentioned earlier, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, that it's speaking prophetically. Now this was written before Christ's birth, and there's two, two aspects of the prophecy here. There's the prophecy for unto you a child is born. It's talking about the birth of Christ. We just celebrated Christmas. That's what it's talking about. Then it says, for unto you a son is given. Uh, uh, separate. Uh, we're talking about the son of God who was given. Uh, uh, he, uh, he has been, uh, been bestowed upon us uh, as our Savior. And we, and we talked about how he died for our sins. And praise the Lord uh, uh, for that. And one day he is coming again. Not to be the baby in the manger. And as we already said, but to be king of kings and lord of lords. To rule and to reign forevermore. There's some things that are going to take place before that. Uh, we believe in the, in the rapture. Uh, that, that, that Jesus Christ will one day, uh, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, says the trump will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain, we caught up together with them in the clouds, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise God, there's going to come a day when, when this, this corruption shall put on incorruption. Uh, this body will be changed, and I will no longer be what I am today, but I will be instantly, immediately, in the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, in the presence of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all those that have died in Christ, all those that, have, have, uh, that are saved uh, from, from a yesterday uh, and, and from that day all the way back to the, to the days of, uh, of, of, of Adam and Eve, all of them will, they will rise and they will meet us and will be with God in the air forever and ever. It's a day for us to look forward to. But that is not the, coming, the second coming of the Lord. That is the, the rapture. After the rapture, there is a period of what the Bible teaches in the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel uh, of the tribulation. And there will be a time, uh, according to, according to uh, the, the word of God, uh, that, that the, the wicked one will be revealed. 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2, verse 8 says, And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Uh, during that, that, that period of time, the tribulation, uh, uh, there will be three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of, of war. And, and Satan, or, or the, the, the Antichrist, will rise up and rule the world. Everybody will turn to him and follow him and and 
For the first three and a half years, he'll promise peace to the people of Israel. But in th after three and a half years, he'll turn, and they'll try to destroy the people of Israel. And after that period of tribulation, and, and where you don't have time to go into all of what's going to happen during those, those seven years, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is going to come back. That he'll come back not uh, as a baby, but again, riding a white horse. It says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 21, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. There will come a day at that, final, at that, at that battle after the tribulation that Jesus Christ comes and rises up against all those, and in a moment, it's done. And in, 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 in Isaiah chapter 9, it, 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 it talks about the aftermath of this battle. It's all done, and everybody comes, and they, they, they're standing around the throne, and they're all worshiping him, calling him uh, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, the prince of peace. He will come with, with war, but he shall be ruling with peace, because for the next 1,000 years, according to the Bible, we call it the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, he rules with peace. Satan is bound, and has no rule and reign at that time. We see Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea and beyond Jordan. There will be affliction upon this world. There will be a battle. It will all come to an end. And in verse 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And notice it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forevermore. 11, chapter 11, verse 1 through 9 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of... shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither approve after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge. It's speaking of Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning. It's going to be an eternal age of peace, or it's going to be a thousand-year reign of peace. It's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells us there's going to be one final attempt of Satan. We see it in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are expired, that millennial reign, Satan shall be loose out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the, the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and could pass the camp of the saints about and, be, and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beasts and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever. And ever. There will be a final battle. Satan will be released. He will come back. He will afflict this earth. Uh, they'll rise up an army and Christ will put an end to him. And for all eternity, there will be peace forevermore. It will be an eternal age of peace. We've never had peace on this earth. There will never be war again. There'll, there'll be no more fightings and discord among people. There'll be no more discord or war between man and God. It truly will say, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible tells us there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, but I want you to understand that this will go on forever and ever and ever, and there will be peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Do you have peace this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've never had peace in my entire life. I've been, I've been struggling. Uh, I've been doing my best. I, I have tried to be the best that I can. I want you to tell you, it doesn't matter. You will never attain peace without Jesus Christ. Because until you have peace with God, you cannot have peace. Because we have peace with man because of the peace of God that rules in our hearts.
So if you're not a child of God, if you've never trusted in Christ, I want you to remember that because of your sin, because of your sin nature, you're at war with God, and it's through the death of Christ on the cross that you can have peace. He died for peace. That is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation, and we're going to pray. But if God's speaking to your heart, I encourage you today to seek the peace of God for yourself, in your own heart. Maybe you're here and say, I don't have peace. I don't have peace about what's going on in this world. I don't, I, I, I don't have peace about... If you're a child of God, our peace comes from letting God rule in our hearts. The Word being authoritative. Looking forward to the day that the promises of the Word of God will come true. Trusting that God in His wisdom is doing everything that's best. And God's in control, right? Not who's president, not who's vice president or who's behind. Listen, they are not in control. Proverbs, Solomon said, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever it goeth. Our peace is in Christ. He truly is the Prince of Peace. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that Christ was exalted. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that does not know you as a personal Savior, God, I pray that you would help us to, to seek peace from you. If there's one here today that's not saved, God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. God, I pray that your hand would be upon all that's done and said. God, I pray that you'd be glorified. May your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.